stirred, and I can't wait to, uh, I'll get a copy of all the words that were spoken last week, and I'll, I'm going to share some things today by way of teaching and exhortation, too. I want to make sure that we don't treat prophecy lightly. How many of you know that since the beginning, God has empowered us, he's empowered people uh, since Adam and Eve, since the first ones in the garden, he has empowered us with all authority on the earth. Jesus, the last Adam came back, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then he said to his disciples, tag your it. And since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve were empowered to rule over all the works of God's hands, that's always been his intention. He's never intended to have a robotic, you know, puppet kind of people. He's always desired for us to be empowered. And how many of you know that God, as, as we heard last week, God will override our will sometimes. Sometimes he just loves us so much. He's like, you know what? I'm tired of you missing out and I'm just going to do something. But that's the exception, not the rule. For the most part, God speaks a word. No word of God is without power. He watches over his word to perform it. Every word of God will not return to him void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. But the only difference with with times and seasons and generations is who's going to get to enjoy the fruit of that. Who's going to get to enjoy, you know, the word is a seed, as Jesus said in the parable. Who will get to enjoy the fruit for which that seed was planted? And how many of you know when the word's spoken to us, that means we get to enjoy it. The purpose of the word is that we, the one who heard it, and those who will receive the ministry from that one, they're the first ones and the primary ones that should benefit and taste and see of the fruit of that. But there's also this phenomenon where if we're not careful, the word of God Uh, not interacting with us can just remain for a generation to come. In other words, the word of God will always accomplish the purpose for which it's sent, but not everybody who hears the word will receive the benefit of that word. It has to mix in with our will. It's been that way since the beginning of time. That's why the whole story of the Garden of Eden, that's what happened in that place. God said, Adam, Eve, I want you to rule over all the works of my hands. And then they said to the serpent, in effect, we want you to rule with us. We want you to come on and join us in this place and offer your wisdom and your perspective. And that just wrecked everything. And so although God gave them authority over all things, they were usurped. Authority was usurped in the earth. You know, the kingdom of darkness has no authority unless we give it to him. But so it is whenever the word of God goes out. And sometimes we can treat prophecy, we could treat the scriptures and the promises in the scriptures. We could treat the will of God that we already know and have revealed to us in our lives as if all we got to do is hang out and wait and then God will do it. And there is a sense of that, right? God will watch over his word. God will give us the power. Every word that God spoke, he intends to come to pass. But as soon as that word's spoken, then comes the parable of the sower. And the question always remains, what kind of soil are we going to be? Will we be the kind of soil that hears a word? And because of the hardness of our heart, the word just sits there and it gets trampled upon? Will we be one who hears the word, but then weeds overgrow it because of the worries of this life, the cares and concerns? Will we be those who, who are like the stony ground where it, it quickly springs up, but then it gets tested? And so we give up on it. All of the word that was spoken last week, all the word that's always been spoken over all of our lives has all of those potentials. But I believe I'm communicating to a people that are really good soil. Man, only two of you agree with me? Oh, yeah, Brian agrees with me. I believe I'm speaking to a people that are good soil. I believe that I am in the company of people who know that there's a divine purpose for every last one of us. There's a divine purpose for this church, and God will see to it. 
and we have a heart that says, God, I want your word to come alive, so I want to do my part to equip you. And today's an equipping day. Today is the kind of message, if you don't take notes, today would be a really good day to take notes. These are the kinds of truths, what I want to share with you today, are the kind of truths that you don't just hear and then walk away and go on your way. This is like change your life kind of stuff. So maybe you got a mind like a trap and you don't need to take notes, but if you got a mind like mine, I really exhort you to write a couple things down today that you're going to do, because that's where the word and our obedience have to come together. Let me read you a, a scripture that really talks about prophecy. I'm going to share a few things about prophecy and how the word of the Lord needs to be empowered in our lives. Like a seed, it has everything in it that's necessary for that seed to bear the fruit for which it was sent. But like a seed, it's got to be planted in soft soil. It's got to be watered. And that seedling's got to be cured. It's got to be cultivated. We've got to guard that word. We guard the treasure, that treasure <laughs> that's been entrusted to us. And if we don't, we do have an enemy who really is good at stealing, killing, and destroying. Amen? How many of you have ever received a personal prophecy? And I'm not talking about like what we had here last week through the prophets. That's great. And we do that, and, you know, it'll be everybody's turn in time. We'll keep, we're going to keep doing that. Everybody in this church, we intend to come into leadership, and so you'll have hands laid on you too. But I'm talking about just even when we pray for one another. Do you realize that every time we speak, when we're praying, we're tuned in with the Spirit of God, and we open up our mouth and share what we believe bubbled up. The, you know, the Hebrew word, one of the Hebrew words for prophecy is to bubble up. And it bubbles up from the inside, and then it spills out of our mouth. How many of you have ever prayed, and that happened? Wait, for real? i got to preach a different message. I mean, like you're praying for somebody, and it's just like, I just feel like I should pray this. Anybody feel that way? Yeah. A few more? Yeah. Anybody ever pray, and, and you just, uh, you don't even know why you're praying what you're praying, but you just know that you should? A few more? Okay. Yeah. All right, so that's prophecy. That is what prophecy is like. All of us can prophesy. Some or most of us have the gift of prophecy, and some of us are called to be prophets, as in full-time, that's what you do. That's who you are to the body of Christ. But all the saints of God can hear the voice. You know how I know? Because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And we're going to share some things, and I believe we're going to offer some help with that, how to hear the voice of God. But I just want to encourage you with just this one thing. Sometimes all we need is an obvious 101 class on things. You know, the things that are so easy that we think, oh, there can't be all there is to it. And, and most of the time it is. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, here it is. Obvious 101. If our hearts incline toward God, and we're genuinely, like we're putting aside our will, our desires, we're sincerely saying, God, I want you to speak to me right now. Whatever begins to bubble up on the inside of us is the Lord speaking to us. Now, I know there's some theologians that might disagree with me, but they could keep teaching in an ivory tower somewhere. I'm going to stay out here in the real world where you have to hear God's voice, where we can't be about theory. We can't be about, well, that, that you know, the verses here say this and that. This is the, the course of life. And his, God is not desiring to hide his will. He's not desiring to hide his ways from us. He wants us to know his voice. He wants us to be able to live in such a way. And I was, I was just talking with one of my kids the other day who wants to learn more about how do I know and recognize the voice of God. And I said the, the same thing while well, I taught him when he was little, like all my kids, and, and I share with everybody who's new in the kingdom of heaven. How do I learn to hear his voice? The first thing is have a predisposition to say, yes, Lord, with whatever you hear. 
The number one reason why believers do not recognize the voice of God is because we have certain things that if God says that, I'm not doing it. Oh, God, real quiet. Actually, it's been real quiet. I'm just saying. There are certain things I will hear and certain things I will not hear. I will not hear God if he says, I want you to forgive that one, for example. I will not hear God if he tells me to go here, even though I'm scared of that place. If he tells me to go and talk to that scary person, I will not do that. See, now we've just kind of numbed our ears. We've dulled our hearing to hear what the Spirit of God's saying by having a predisposition. It says, you can say this, but you can't say this. Does that make sense? That's the beginning of learning how to hear the voice of God. A heart that just says, yes, Lord. Whatever it is you're about to say, my heart says, yes, Lord. Amen? So here's 1 Thessalonians. You want to know, how many of you want to know what the will of God is for your life? No, for real, you should raise your hand because this is how I know what I should preach, how much time I should spend on a certain subject. This is like a genuine survey and I can see all of you. I can't see y'all at home, yous at home. I said, y'all. That's because I was talking to Aaron. He's in Bama now. He's starting, oh, God help us. He's starting to pick it up. (laughs) Use. So I need that. I need that interaction, all right? This isn't like I'm not on a TV screen here. I'm a real human, and I want to connect, and I want to draw out, and I want you to draw out from me whatever it is that I've got. So how many of you want to know what the will of God is for your life? The rest of you are in the wrong church. (laughs) You really are. God wants to give it, and I'm going to tell you, how many of you know that this is called the more sure word of prophecy? You want to begin to know God's voice? You want to learn how to discern and hear God's voice? Start with what he already said, because there's no nuance about this. I mean, yeah, there's some parts that are, I know, it's 2,000 years old. It was written to Jews. It was written to ancient peoples. There are some things like, why are they like that? And what does that even mean? Like, why do you call his mother woman? Man, if I call my mother woman, I wouldn't see the next. I wouldn't see 12 years old. If I ever call my mother woman, why did Jesus call her woman? You know, there's some things like that. I mean, that's just, I don't know why that one came to mind first. But <laughs> there are some things, yeah, that are worth studying out because it is an old book. I mean, in terms of the writing, it's old. In terms of the reality of it, in terms of the power of it, it's new every morning like his mercies are. This book never gets old no matter how many times I've been in it. Every time it's like, man, where has that verse been? And all the other times I've read through the scriptures. It comes alive and there's something about it. It's very much alive. You want to learn to hear God's voice? Start with this. You want to know what God's will is? Well, uh, what if I told you there's a scripture that says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Would you want to read that scripture? I'm going to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5. Where am I going to start? Verse 16. This is a fun chapter. It's hard to jump into. And I want to read this full section because sometimes when you read like Paul's letters and some other books like Proverbs, you kind of read it and it almost sounds like here are all the things I didn't get to in the letter. And I'm just going to throw them all out at the end of the letter. This is what this section reads like. But I'm going to tell you, it's all connected and it all wraps together. This is a lifestyle that not only enables us to hear the voice of God, but step into everything that the Word of God has said to bear the fruit for which the Word of God has come. How many know, like a farmer, like all the parables say, he's a farmer that sowed the seed, and he's expecting a yield from that seed. He's expecting that because he gave us the gift of that Word and the impartation that came with the Word, he's looking for fruit from that. You remember the parable of the talents. It's the, I know it's a mixture of metaphors, but it's the same thing. I gave this to you, Where's my fruit from that? Where's the harvest for which I deserve because I gave you something? So start in verse 16. Rejoice always. 
Verse 17, that's a good memory verse right there. Everybody likes Jesus wept for their memory verse. There's another two-word memory verse. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, rejoice always. That one we could just spend the whole morning on. How many of you did not feel like rejoicing when you came to the house of the Lord today? Nobody wants to raise their hand. (laughs) I appreciate you honest ones. What if I told you that there's some mornings I come in and I'm like, Jesus, I need you to fill me right. I need you to prime this pump because right now I'm poured out and, and i got to preach. <laughs> yeah, but there, everybody gets in that place. You don't feel like rejoicing always, so it can't just be an emotion, right? It's got to be something that we make a decision about. If it's a command in the Scripture, it means that there is the grace to do it and that it requires our will. It requires a response from us. Rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice after something awesome happens, not what it says. Rejoice all the time. If you can find a way to rejoice, and I'm not talking about feeling joyful. There are times you can rejoice without feeling joyful. Did you know that? You can rejoice. Rejoice simply means to rehearse the goodness of God, to just remember that, yeah, this thing right here has me feel like I am pinned and the guy's counting, down to, counting up to three. Three is pinned in wrestling, right? It's been a long time. Right? Three? All right. Ten is boxing. Three is... And then the ref is on the man. He's counting to three. I feel like I'm pinned and counting to three. But Jesus was in a grave and he came out again. He conquered death while he was dead. But Jesus promised me that even if this is my last breath, I have life forever in paradise with him. There's this butt factor in it. You know, remember the message, watch your butt? You remember that, right? Yeah, this thing happened, but God. That's rejoice always. When we end our sentence with but God, But God is able to make all things work together for good, no matter what this is right now. Even if for the rest of my life I'm slandered, maligned, my life falls apart, everything I've worked for just comes to nothing. But God has intended good things. And whether I live to see the fruit of it or I don't live to see the fruit of it, I'm still going to rejoice. Now, Ludwig von Beethoven was not a popular composer in his day. He wasn't quite what he is today. He didn't live to see the, the, you know, how his music would be received in generations to come. Most of those that are rehearsed in the Scriptures died not having seen the things promised, but they saw them from afar off. And so we can rejoice always. I didn't intend on spending that much time, but I felt like somebody needed to hear that. Maybe just I needed to hear that. Right? You could talk to yourself, right? Remind yourself. David talked to himself. Bless the Lord, soul. What's wrong with you? I mean, that's how I would say it. David said it more eloquently. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Does that mean you've got to stop everywhere you go and go? Nope, it means stay in constant communion. Keep an open heart. Remember, we, where's the temple of God right now? Point me to it. We walk with it. It's everywhere. You don't have to wait for a gathering. You don't have to wait for life group. You don't have to wait for church. You don't have to wait for the prayer meeting. We have a temple inside of us. Where we go, Jesus goes. At any moment of any day, when we remember to, and that's, the, that's where the, the will part comes in. That's where the challenge comes in, remembering to. Remembering to stop and say, right now, I need heaven. My anger's bubbling up. My anxiety is beginning to take over. My depression is starting to fill me again. I've got to connect with heaven right now because it's not like that in heaven. And the reality is I am already sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm not subject to the climate here. I'm subject to heaven where it's like, where it's, well, where it's like Southern California all the time, but without the politics. <laughs> In everything, give thanks. 
in everything give thanks. Not for everything. I mean, I had some people that have interpreted that. I've heard preachers say, you know, thank God for, you know, the mosquitoes. Nope. Not going to do it. But I can thank God while I'm getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Otherwise, I'd never go to Maine, right? You'd, you'd just forget it. In everything, give thanks. What does that mean? Keep a heart that doesn't allow the bad things that goes on. Look, all you got to do is open your eyes and listen for five minutes. There's plenty to get down about. But in the middle of that, there's a whole lot more good going on. It's like, you know, everybody hates the Pollyanna optimist who says it, above the clouds, it's always shining, but it's true. There was a hurricane that the clouds covered the entire state of Florida. But those planes, you, you see the pictures, of, those guys are nuts. I think, man, somebody's got adrenaline addiction or something like that to fly into the eye of a hurricane and measure the winds. I'm like, dude, if it's like, just say it's about 180 miles an hour. What's the difference, you know? You don't have to fly through. No, it's 179 and a half. <laughs> Those guys are crazy. But the pictures they get when they get out onto the eye of the storm or above the hurricane, and it's gorgeous, it's sunny, the air is completely still above a hurricane. There is no air moving above that hurricane. It's still, it's quiet, it's sunny, it's absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Below those clouds, houses are getting washed away in the storm. In everything, give thanks, because that is reality. Sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, Jesus, I see what I see. I heard what I heard. But right now, I need to be above these things and see it how you see it. Because you see a master plan. You were at the beginning. You will be at the end because you're, you're not subject to all of that. I need, I need your perspective right now. I need your atmosphere right now. Because this hurricane right now feels like it's blowing everything away out of my life. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There you go. Now you know the will of God. Rejoice always. Never stop praying. Never don't be praying. And in everything, give thanks. What, now, obviously, there's more to life than just that. There's the doing. There's the being. There's the manifesting Christ in us. In whatever it is that God's called us to, having those three practices in life, having that atmosphere, having that, th these three things are things that we make a decision about. We choose to rejoice. We choose to give thanks. We choose to pray. Those are things that require our will. When we cultivate that kind of an atmosphere in our life, now we're tuned in to heaven's decrees. Now we are ready to take the word of God. It's come to soft soil. Now it can get rooted and bear fruit for God's glory. So this is the part of the equation. If we, I think just that, those three verses right there, if you have never really come into the fullness of what the Word of God has said to you, just start with those three verses and learn how to make it a lifestyle. Because those are where we have a choice. The Word of God comes, it's got power. What kind of soil is it going to land in? What kind of response will it get out of our lives? Because the very next thing he says is to not quench the Spirit. So you know how to quench the Spirit? And everything give complaints. Go through every circumstance and every problem of life complaining and focusing on what the devil's doing and magnify the devil. That's literally what we do when we complain. We just magnify the devil and his works. Instead of destroying the works of the devil, we're calling attention to them, making it headline news. Hey, everybody, look, now look what the Lord has done. Look what the devil has done. That's in everything give complaining. 
rejoice always. Now how about get depressed about everything always? Just get sad and get under about everything. When bad things happen, you just keep rehearsing that over and over in your mind. Have a pity party in your own honor and invite all your friends so we could commiserate, which means be miserable together. That's what commiserate. Let me share my misery with everybody and I'll try to find as many sympathetic ears as I can to help me feel good about I am not going to rejoice about anything. There's nothing good in my life right now. That quenches the Spirit of God. A lifestyle where we never stop to pray. A lifestyle where we just kind of go about our business. Instead of praying without ceasing, we have ceased to pray. When we have ceased to pray, we're quenching the Spirit. There is no way that anything that God has to do in our lives or in the earth can happen without our choosing to rejoice, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Wash, rinse, repeat. Rejoice, right? So that, that's that lifestyle. Then we don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. And speaking of quenching the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. Don't think lightly of the things that God has said. Vince, I need your help, buddy. The remote's not working. Do not despise prophetic utterances. So I want to tell you what that means. Despise doesn't mean to sneer at, although it can mean that. That's the ultimate worst expression. But the word despise literally means to disempower, to take away the life of something. So when God's word comes, there is an expectation. God's full expectation is that, hey, that's going to happen. In fact, I've already seen it happen before I even spoke it. You know, God wasn't creating on the fly when he began to speak the stars into existence, the planets into existence, the, every living creature into existence. He wasn't just kind of, there was already something in his heart and out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke and everything came into being. There's power in the word of God. There's power in our words because we are made in his image and likeness. We have that authority. We have that power. Despising prophetic utterances means to treat them as if they're just like any other word to treat them as if they're not from heaven, to treat prophecy as though it doesn't have the power to create life, to create destiny, to create, to bring dreams to life, to bring vision to reality. That's despising prophetic utterances. Despising a prophetic utterance, as I told everybody, we had a little class for everybody who received the ministry here last week. You'll despise your prophetic utterance if you take that word, you put it in a book and say, hey, that was great, it made me feel good, and never think about it again. Never take action on what the Word said to do. Never ponder it. Never pray into it. Never, you know, consider it again. That would be treating it lightly. That would be to disempower it. That would be as if I gave you a bag of seed and you took that seed and put it up in a cabinet somewhere and left it there. That's despising prophetic utterances. So I'm here exhorting you today. I know many of you, I have all of your words, unless there's some you forgot to give to me. I have them. I pull them out from time to time. Some of you know I will call Every once in a while, I've been reading your word and praying into it and asking, hey, how's that going right there? And uh, I, I'm, I'm back in them. I'm warning you. I'm back in them again now. So you're going to be getting some conversations on things, and I'll show you in a few minutes uh, some things that, hey, how come I'm not seeing any of that fruit yet? What's up with that? I'll say it more gently than that. Maybe. Maybe I'll just New York you. I don't know, because <laughs> sometimes it's just easier to just say it. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every 
form of evil. That's how we, we take it. So examine everything. People love that when it comes to prophecy. And they think that that word examine everything means, well, I'm going to scrutinize this thing, and I'm going to check it out with the word, and I'm going to... It's basically trying to find ways getting to get out of the fullness of the power of that word. I'm not saying everybody does that. Examine it means to test it, to look at it, to say, okay, God, you spoke this, and so I'm, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to, like, if somebody gave me, like, I just got a new dishwasher, and I'm looking over this thing to find all the features on it, because I can't, and I need my glasses to read the letters on the thing now, and, and I'm looking at it because I'm examining it. I want to test the thing. I want to see what it can do. That's what examine or test everything carefully means. It doesn't mean scrutinize it with maybe the intent of saying, well, I'm not so sure if that was God or not. That's not what examine means. Yes, we do need to confirm the word. There's, there's a lot. Of, I, I shouldn't have opened that can of worms. I'll have to fo- follow up on that one. Yes, the word of God should come alive. There should be an amen in our spirit. Not because it may not be scary. Sometimes we reject the word of the Lord because it's scary, because it's new, because it's going to stretch us into something that we weren't ready for, or so we thought. Sometimes the word of God is going to come in a way that our, our soulish response is going to be wrong. But when we spiritually discern all things, when we sit together, there ought to be something that comes alive. And what many of us do is that that thing comes alive, we get scared, so we push back down again. That's what we've got to be careful about. Hold fast to that which is good, meaning that which came from the Lord, and abstain from every form of evil. So prophecy needs to be partnered with this lifestyle this lifestyle of praying, this lifestyle of rejoicing, this lifestyle of, of um, pray, rejoice, of, what was the third thing? My brain's doing that funny thing again. Thanks and thanksgiving. Pray, doing those things. We partner with that as a lifestyle so that we can cultivate the seed of the word that was said. It stays in tune with heaven. It rejects discouragement and rejects anything that interferes with faith. That's what the Word of God has to be partnered with that kind of a lifestyle. Hearing the Word of the Lord without watering that Word with prayer and a faith-filled response, some kind of action, is to despise prophecy. Okay? So, examining or testing the Word, that means to add some wise and measured action to it. So, you know, when, when God tests us, right? We, how many of you love when God tests us? Nobody. How many of you like when, when the test is over? How many of you like the growth that comes on the other side of that season of testing? Everybody loves that part. Everybody loves Joseph in the palace, making proclamations, living large, you know, wealthiest, wisest man in the world at the time. Nobody wants to do the pit thing. Nobody wants to be in prison. Nobody wants to be lied about. Nobody wants to be betrayed by his entire family. Nobody wants that part of it. But that's always what happens to be examined. To be tested means kind of like how you test the ice. This is how I put it. Some of you think I've heard this before. You know, when in the winter, and it's not usually cold enough, long enough around here for ice skating. I know I've heard some of you talk about driving across the river in the middle of winter. How many of you did that? If you grew up around here, did anybody do that? Who told me about that? Did I make that up? Somebody, I'm telling you, somebody did. He's just not here today. He used to drive across the river because, you know, it was cold enough, long enough. But if you're going to go out ice skating, you got to test the ice first. Don't be like I was when the ice is that thick. You shouldn't go on it. So you test it, right? So you kind of put your foot out on it. You put a little weight, step out a little bit more, put a little bit of weight. 
you're still not sure, you take a little brother and throw him out, see if he goes through. I'm kidding, don't, don't do that. I only did that once. Don't do that. Don't do that part. But you test it. Wow, you put a little bit of pressure on it. You see, is this thing ready yet? Is it ready to bear weight? That's what all tests from the Lord are. They're not pass-fail tests like we do in school. I think that's just so, I mean, yeah, you got to show that you've learned the things, but God's not like that. He's not like, your, he's not like Ms. Opitz. <laughs> She's always the first teacher who will come to mind. I'm still terrified of that woman. Ms. Opitz, third grade teacher. <laughs> I'm so terrified of her. I once, with her, she was so strict. I once wet my pants because I was afraid to ask her if I could go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's what it was like in there. Yeah, I'm still trying. Obviously, I'm okay with that now because I can share it over the pulpit. But that's how terrifying this woman was. Why am I saying that? Oh, because she, if she gave a test, I was so terrified not to get A's in her classes because I had the fear of Ms. Opitz. Long before I knew the fear of God, I had the fear of mom, then the fear of Ms. Opitz. And I wanted to pass the test. That's not what God's like. He's, he's not the kind of God where when we're not ready yet, it's like he's putting his foot on, he's giving us some weight. Why? Because we're, we're to carry his glory. Every one of us, like the priests of old, carrying the ark of God's glory on their shoulders, we've got to be able to bear the weight of his glory. In fact, one of the Hebrew words for glory, the main one used, means the weightiness of something. I mean, you know, we, we have this expression from the 60s, wow, man, that's really heavy. I think that's biblical, because it's really, it, it deserves, it's weighty. We're made to carry his glory. He wants us to be able to carry the fullness of his glory without being crushed by it. So when we receive a word, we're to test it in the same manner. I'm going to kind of put a little weight on this thing and, and see if God's in it. Maybe it requires a little bit of, let me just step out in a measured, wise way. Now, here's another mistake for those who are more on my end of the spectrum. Uh, not that spectrum. I mean, the spectrum of quick to leap out ahead of God or slow and wait on God till he's 100 miles down the road. In the middle of that is balance and wisdom. That, that we begin to step forward into it. We test it in a wise way. Was this the Lord? You know, for example, he, he, say he imparted a gift of healing. How many of you have had a word from God that you're going to have a gift of healing? Do I have to remember for you? I know it's more than that. Yeah, what are you, Chandler's, why you got your hands down? All right, so you have the Lord spoke, for example, in prophecy or somebody prayed, say, I really feel like you got a gift of healing. How are you going to begin to prove that word, test that word? That's not a trick question. Go pray for the sick. Pray for somebody who's sick. Test the word. That's what examining or testing the word means. Not, well, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe, that's, maybe it's not good. No, trust that it's the Lord and find a way to prove it. Test that word. Add some wise, measured action for it. I'm going to tell you just a quick story in the scriptures of a generation that missed out on the will of God, on the prophetic purpose of their generation. They missed out on the word of God for 16 years because they didn't contend for what God had said. And they took the words of prophecy and the favor and the fulfillment of God's prophecy and they treated it lightly and didn't contend for it. And I'm talking about the generation of Ezra when they began to rebuild the temple. So we'll start in Daniel chapter 9. This happened a little while before the book of Ezra was happening. And it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahuersus, the Mede uh, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed 
and the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Can somebody help uh, Vince out? He, just so, um, so you guys, unless you have your Bible and you can open. I haven't made you do that for a while. Maybe we should just go back and do that. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel was there. He was in Babylon. This is after he'd been uh, all kinds of crazy stuff had happened to him. He's beginning to see visions, beginning to see into the future. And he read some of the prophecies of Jeremiah. And when he came to a prophecy that was coming of age, Jeremiah the prophet, the end of Second Chronicles, ends with Jeremiah prophesied, 70 years in captivity, and then you're going to be sent back to rebuild Jerusalem. So Daniel's reading this ancient prophecy. I mean, he was a little boy when that prophecy went out. Or maybe he wasn't even born yet. I forget Daniel's life timeline. But, but he was so little, he didn't even hear it. But he read it, and somebody finally, now there's no record of any other Jew, any of the older Jews, and there were some in the book of Ezra who were there to see the temple before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. So there were some older ones, but it doesn't appear that anybody else was taking the word of the Lord seriously. De- Jeremiah, whose word came to pass, he prophesied judgment when all the other prophets were saying, peace, peace, and there was no peace. Jeremiah was bold in his day. He was thrown in prison by the king, and, but he nailed it. He had it right. Everything Jeremiah said came to pass, and here's Daniel one day reading through Je- the book of Jeremiah and his prophecies, and he saw 70 years. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we're in 60, whatever, 67 years or something like that at that point i got to start to pray this word into existence. Who's going to partner with the word of the Lord to see it come to pass in my generation? Because we only got three more years and we're going back to the, the holy city. You guys tracking with me? This is an old prophecy, but somebody took the word of the Lord seriously enough to say this deserves some watering. This is a seed. God spoke this thing. It's going to come to pass. I'm going to partner with heaven right now to bring this word to pass because otherwise it's a seed in the cabinet. We want to take that seed, plant it in the soil of prayer, water it, and see what God will do. And so Daniel said, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, with sackcloth, and with ashes. Daniel lived his life, his adult life in captivity, taken as a young man with the three others, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael also known as Shirek, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's their pagan names. He was taken captive with them, grew up in Babylon. He spent all of his years serving emperors, these pagan, ungodly emperors, all the while having heaven open to him. I mean, he met Gabriel long before um, Mary and Joseph did. He, he had interactions with heaven, and he knew hey, if that prophet said that word, then somebody's got to take this word. And he fasted and he prayed and he got in sackcloth and ashes. I want to urge you, if you have a word and has not yet come to pass, and it's something big, like I'm talking monumental promise of God, something that will shape your life and the life of generations to come, take that word back out, begin to pray, begin to fast, begin to say that God spoke this thing And if it hasn't happened yet, then I'm going to partner with heaven and make sure that it does come to pass because no word of God is without power. Every word, he is watching over his word, not to make it happen on our behalf. As soon as we partner with him, as Daniel did, heaven opens up and and things happen. Prophecy without our partnership in prayer is like a seed that never gets watered. And I urge you to pull those things back out again. Take those prophecies back out. Keep them in front of you. I now have an app. It's called Evernote. It's one of my bookmarked notes. All the words that God has spoken over myself, my family, my wife and I together. 
my children, I have those prophecies, and I'll pull them out sometimes when I pray. And I'll pull them out sometimes when I get a sense like, you know, that, I feel like God spoke something about this that's being tested right now. Well, I know how to take out the sword of the Spirit. That's my weapon of warfare. That prophecy wasn't given to stay in an Evernote file. That prophecy was given so I could partner with heaven and see to it that it comes to pass. So now it goes on. In Ezra, Daniel prayed. Within three years' time, scholars disagree, but somewhere around three years' time from when Daniel began to pray in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Seventy years later, the javelin of the word of the Lord landed at the feet of Ezra and his generation, and there's King Cyrus standing right over that javelin and saying, hang on a second, I'm feeling I got to do something with this thing. Now, who were the Jews to him? Well, he knew Daniel. Everybody knew Daniel by that point. Everybody knew about Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Everybody knew about Daniel. You hadn't been thrown in the lion's den yet. Everybody knew all of the stories of Daniel. They knew this is a man of God. And so the Jews, they've got a real living God. We saw the things that have happened, the miracles that have been done. Man, Nebuchadnezzar tried to burn three of them alive. They walked out, they didn't even smell like smoke. These, are, these guys are the real deal. So Cyrus reads this over, and he says, oh. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he sent out a proclamation throughout his kingdom. He put it in writing, and he said, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Man, he's like a prophet. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem. He's appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so he sent there, he sent them. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Because, you know, most of the Jews alive in Babylon, now Persia, they didn't even know where home was. They grew up in captivity. They didn't know Jerusalem. They heard the stories. They knew roughly it's somewhere west of here. They'd never seen the holy city. They grew up in captivity. So go to, the, go to the Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God, the God who is in Jerusalem. He's the God who is in Jerusalem. So God raised him up. Never underestimate that the power of our prayer has the, and the power of our agreement with what God has said. This is, you know, the prayer of agreement Jesus said. Any two or three, two of you agree is touching anything on earth, it shall be done. Touching anything in heaven, it shall be done for them. Well, the ultimate prayer of agreement is when we pray God's word. We pray the thing that God has already said. Now I'm agreeing with what heaven said. I'm not arguing with the word of the Lord now. I'm agreeing with it and I'm praying it. That our power of that prayer of agreement has the authority to move the hearts of kings. What would it be like they say that the church in America is about 120 million adults strong. I mean, evangelical, like Bible-believing, prayerful people. I don't know how accurate that is or not. It doesn't matter. But what if all the body of Christ came together in agreement that God has prophetic purpose for the United States of America? What is the prophetic purpose of the United States of America? Forget about, you know, what visions of uh, presidents who come and go and uh, you know, houses and senates that come and go. Forget all that for a minute. What about God's purpose? What has he prophesied? There's plenty of it. If you don't know the prophecies over our nation, by the way, I urge you to get connected with it. Go to David Barton Wall Builders' website. He's got it all right there. Things that our founding fathers, things of the Great Awakening, preachers of the Great Awakening, men like William Penn, who saw prophetically what God wanted to do a century before our nation was even founded. 
There was prophetic purpose. There were things spoken. It's, in, it's etched into the stone all around the city of Boston. The Massachusetts Bay Colony, the first governor, Governor Winthrop, prophesied and said, we'll be a city set on a hill. And if we love and serve the Lord our God, the nations will be blessed by the light of the glory of God in this city. And if we forsake the Lord our God, we'll just be a byword among the nations, meaning we'll be like any, all these other kingdoms, like whoever heard of Babylon except that we read about it in the Bible. Would anybody here have known that the Medea Persian Empire even existed if you didn't read the Bible? I mean, we all know about Rome because that's more recent. These ancient empires that come and go, and that's what he prophesied. If we forsake the Lord our God, we forget that his sovereign hand is going to do something here among us, then we're just going to be yet another nation. That, go, that is one possibility. But what about if God said something, and like Cyrus, like Daniel, we can take those words and say, you know what, we've lost a lot. We're, we're, it's like we're a people in captivity. We've lost some of the prophetic purpose and destiny. And yeah, we should rally politically. Yes, we should be involved in government. Yes, we should pray and some of us should take action and actually run for office and be in government, not in politics, be a leader. Take that leadership anointing that God's given you and go put it to use in a governmental office because we sure do need people of wisdom and discernment, people of character and integrity, people who are humble enough to, to say, God, God, I need you. God, I need, I don't know, there's not a single thing that I really know. I think I know what's right for this great people, but without you, I don't have anything. We need people in governmental office like that. But before all of that comes to pass, if God could raise up a pagan king named Cyrus to bless the people of God to go and build the temple of Jerusalem, we at least ought to be praying and knowing what God has said, and praying that into existence. So that's true for our nation. It's true for our church. If you're a member of the church, you've already gotten a packet of all the prophecies ever spoken over Hillside that we have. You've got that? I urge you to take those things out and pray them. Look at the ones especially like Daniel did, and say, hey, you know, I heard what the Lord said, but I don't see that yet. Uh, it doesn't appear that that's actually become manifest then join together. The elders do this from time to time where we'll even fast and pray and pray certain things that God will bring to mind and heart and we'll go after that. Say, God, you said, you spoke this. We don't see it yet, but you said this and we honor your word and we want to see your word come to pass and then do it individually by all means. Don't despise the prophetic utterances, the prophecies that you've received. Take those things out, believe them, and maybe even test it. Start putting your feet on it. I'll give you this picture on that. I just remembered I shared with a friend the other day who's trying to discern something really big, big, important life decision. And it's kind of like, um, you know, the, uh, the doors at CVS here in town. You ever try to go in there? So a few years ago, they put those automatic doors on, right? And if you push the button, the door opens. If you don't push the button, like me, you forget that it's like the button's over here and you get to the door and you poof. Oh, yeah, that's right. You got to really lean into that thing to open it up, Right? If you have to lean in and force the door open, either it's not the right time or it's not the right door. There shouldn't be striving for the word of the Lord to come to pass. There should just be a sense of, all right, I'm going to push this button and all oh, that door opened up. The Lord opened the door that nobody can shut. I'm going to step through that thing and see what's on the other side. That's kind of how we test the word and we step into the things that God said. All right, so here's what happened. Uh, there were Ezra and a whole generation. They all went back. They began to rebuild the temple. They laid the foundation of the temple. They had a great big celebration. 
And it says that the older, the young people were so excited because they'd never seen a temple before. All they'd seen were, you know, these crazy pagan temples that they grew up around. They'd never seen the temple of God before. They were all excited. But the older people who'd seen Solomon's temple and all of its glory, they were weeping. And it says the sound of rejoicing and weeping couldn't be discerned one from another. So there was some division. There was some excited, some downplaying what, what God was doing. That's another message for another day. But it says that the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building, really tried to, tried to pull them back. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate them all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. So they hired counselors. Man, there's another attorney joke waiting to be spoken right there. They got attorneys involved. I love attorneys. I have friends who are attorneys. I love when they're on a good, righteous cause. But man, the devil's the original attorney in how to manipulate words and put, be, put people in subjugation and use things dishonorably. And the enemy's the original. And these counselors frustrated the counsel of the leaders of the people of God so that when they had this Kairos moment of favor, the emperor of Persia gave them money to build the temple, sent them back to Jerusalem with letters. Are you hearing me? Was willing to enforce, to protect them with his own armies. But because the enemy came and began to make threats, began to speak against them, began to try to manipulate and confuse them, it says that they stopped. It frustrated their counsel during all the days when that window of opportunity was open. While Cyrus was on the throne, Israel had favor and they could rebuild that temple. But then there came a day when Cyrus died and Ahasuerus, the next king of Persia, came along. He got some letters and he said, hey, shut it down. They'd lost their window of opportunity. They lost their favor. And it was 16 years before they would pick up the work of the Lord again under Zerubbabel and under the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, who encouraged the people to continue on in their building. So the word of God almost always comes with kairos moments. If you've received prophecy, I urge you to read carefully. If there is a word in there, something that has a sense of urgency, you need to do this now. You need to follow up on this now. Take now seriously. Because it is like a Kairos moment, the best picture I can offer, is it's like if you ever go on a cruise, I've heard stories of people that get left behind on an island somewhere because they went out on the tour, they went off on their own, and the crew said, hey, you got to be back on the boat. How about it? you got to be back on the boat by 6. They maybe give you a little bit of grace, a little bit of leeway, but they're not going to wait all night. And then you're off on your own, and then you got to find a way back home again from God knows where because you missed the boat. That's a Kairos moment. Kairos moment means God's favor. There's a window of opportunity. It's got to be done right now. Now, will the word of God not come to pass because a generation or a person was unfaithful with it? Absolutely not. He'll find somebody. The next generation will do it. 20 years later, somebody will come along, pick up that baton that God dropped and run with it and do it. But how many of you want to be the one who goes across the line with the word of the Lord? wants to see that thing that God said. I want to see it. I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I don't want to find out if the resurrection will happen. I want to know that I, I ran my race well. I crossed my finish line, passed the baton along, and man, I can't wait to see where you go next. The scripture in Hebrews 10 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. When you have done the will of God, Search the word carefully. 
Search this word carefully. I already told you the will of God today. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Just start with that. After you've done the will of God, you may receive the thing promised. I wonder, you know, when it says he wipe, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes in Revelation, I wonder if some of those tears are going to be, we'll see the whole panorama of our life and see the opportunities we had, the time the word of God came and we weren't faithful with it. How many of you have experienced the pain of regret? I mean, everyone, the older you get, the more opportunity for regret. You have years that you know I was not faithful. I made some really bad mistakes during that season of life. Oh, I wish I could do that conversation over again. Oh, I wish I could redo that season of life all over again. We all have them, some more than others. That's the pain of regret. And I want to urge you, don't let regret become what happens in the future for you. If you have regret, I have good news for you. He's still able to take the years that the locusts have eaten and redeem them. He's able to restore it. He's able, just like the power of the cross was good for everybody who lived before the cross, and it's good for everybody who lived after. He chose us, separated us, and called us sons and daughters while we were still sinners, knowing all the boneheaded things we were going to do after we got saved. He still chose us, and the cross still has that effect to restore all of the years, meaning it'll be as if it never happened. What's that fire restoration company? There's the, they come in and they get rid of all the smell of smoke. If you've had a fire that didn't destroy the house, but they'll take your books, your clothes, furniture, and they get rid of all the smell of smoke, and their motto is like it never happened. That's God. That's the grace of God. That's the power of God. But for us living and knowing what God has said, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. There may be, and I'm going to ask you the question because I love you, is there a promise you've been waiting on? Sometimes it's the timing of God. 70 years for that generation. You know, 40 years in, how many of you know? Daniel couldn't go, oh man, I want to see that in my lifetime. That's 40 years. God's not bound to time. Maybe he could just change this. Nope. There have been 70 years appointed, and it was going to be 70 years. There is only one time in heaven's scale of time, and it's called the appointed time. Yes, there are times when the word of the Lord, the promise of God, has a timing to it that's out of our control. But I would propose to you from living my own life and walking with a bunch of people through life that most of the time, the reason why a promise has not yet come to pass is because we're waiting on the Lord, but the Lord's waiting on us. The Lord said, I told you to do something. If you don't go, like if I have, you know, if I get one of those notices at my house that says there's a package waiting for me at the post office, and then I'll come in to deliver it again and say this is your third notice, you got two weeks to come and get it, otherwise it's going back to the sender, well, I got to go to the post office and get that thing. And, and for some of us, the promises of God are just one step of obedience away. What did the Lord say to do? Or what was obvious to do? Well, I'll tell you, let's, let's do this. So three, four, something like that. A, a few things to do with your words. Number one, gather two or three people to join with you in your prophecies. I, this is just a way that I've exhorted many times in the past. I'll exhort again now. All of us ought to have two or three people who know us really well, people with whom we can speak without any verbal censor. You know what I mean? I don't measure my words when I talk. I just share my heart. Here's what I'm feeling. Even if it's ugly, even if it's, you know, man, if I said that to a a stranger, they would never talk to me again, but I could tell you this thing and good, the bad, and the ugly, you get to know it all. All of us need two or three like that. I believe Jesus, I think this is the wisdom of Jesus. How many, he could have said, if eight or nine are gathered together in my name, there'll be in the midst of them, or 12 or 13. 
You know, in that day, to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 people to have a synagogue. Otherwise, you had to meet down by the river. To have a synagogue, you needed at least 10 people. So Jesus said, yeah, two or three is enough. Two or three is enough, and then I will be there in the midst. Meaning, congratulations, you just put together a temple. And I'm with you now in that place. Two or three people, frankness of speech, everything's in the light, no hidden agenda, no hidden sin, no hidden nothing. If you don't have that, I urge you to seek the Lord and find it. Or maybe open your eyes, because I am convinced that the Lord's already given it to us. And either we're protecting our hearts because we've been hurt before. Nobody in the room hasn't experienced that. Or maybe we're just blind to it because we have certain criteria that those two or three don't meet that aren't from the Lord. Like we've narrowed down the playing field. I will only speak to people like this. I urge you, God's got it for you. Two or three people and then give them a copy of all your prophecies. I have everybody's prophecies because I love you. I'm your pastor. But you need two or three people because now it's too many. I get, there are too many words for me. But you can know two or three friends worth of words. And when they're tested, when that word comes, you know, and, and the enemy's after them, you could pull it out. You be the one to remind your friend, hey, I remember what the Lord said. Or maybe I don't have it memorized, but I'm going to read it to you right now because I know you're in a test that's the direct result of this Joseph dream you had that got you in this pit. Let me remind you what the Lord said the end of that story is. All of us need to do that for one another. So have, make sure two or three people have your prophecies. Take the word of the Lord that's been spoken to you and examine what were the promises. What were the promises given in that word? That's our favorite part of every prophecy, right? It's most people's favorite part of the Bible. So much so they just make books that just have nothing but the promises of God. And that's awesome as long as you put the whole thing in there. Some of the promises of God have a, if you do this, then this will happen to it. And all we quote is the, then this will happen part. And people are really disappointed because after you've done the will of God, that's what you got. But here's the will of God. You know what I'm talking about? There's one, my favorite one. The pastor Dave called my attention to this one. He showed me is I would give them cleanness of teeth. I would give them cleanness of teeth. So you had to pray that. God promised you can have white teeth without paying for whitening toothpaste. You know what that was from? It was because the people of God were under siege and they had no food. So the teeth were clean because they were starving to death. I saw, I thought that was funny. Not a promise to have white teeth. So anyway, the promises of God. What are the actual promises of God? Remind one another what God has said when that word's being tested or when you get like all of us have experienced, man, God promised me I was going to be blessed and I just lost everything. You're Joseph in the bottom of the pit right now. Be a voice to your friend that says, hey, I'm going to remind you what God just said, what God told you. Because right now, I know that's not what you see with your eyes. It's not what you're experiencing with your life. But we know what heaven already said, and I'm not going to let you forget. I love you. You're my friend. I will not let you forget what God has said in the middle of this storm. War together for those. Take those prophecies out. Gather as a band of brothers or a band of sisters and pray until you come to that place of peace. Even if the storm doesn't subside, pray until you come to that place of peace of knowing God said it, it's going to be all right. He may not be doing that peace be still thing right now. You know, storms can end either way when you're on a boat with Jesus. Either he's going to say, peace be still, or you're going to be like Paul, and the angel's going to remind you, well, you're going to go to Rome. And, you know, I, I was there, I was looking at that, going, man, if I was Paul, I'd have been like, so you're going to do that peace be still thing next, right? And he was like, nope, you're going to shipwreck, but you're not going to die. 
see ya. <laughs> you know, that was, sometimes it happens like that. But in the midst of it all, we'll be glorifying the Lord. We'll have our mind on Him. We'll have our sight set on things above. Next, what, what instructions were given or implied? Sometimes the Lord says, I want you to do this. This is what you're to do right now, or this is what you should do the next season of your life. Sometimes it says it that obviously. Sometimes it's a direct implication. I would have shared my testimony. First Phil Capuccio, then Doc Wilson said, you're going to have a spirit of revelation in the scriptures. Well, what's the obvious thing I should do next? I better start reading this thing. I better start reading it and asking Holy Spirit to make it come off the page to me. Have it come alive in a new way. I've always loved the Word of God, but now the Lord said, I'm going to give you a spirit of revelation. I've got to do this. It would be like, man, imagine if um, Aaron Judge, imagine if Aaron Judge had not been adopted. Imagine if Aaron Judge, carrying all that talent, the capacity to have the home run record. Yeah, I'm going to say it. To have the actual true home run champ record without cheating. To have the, he had all that talent, he had all that capacity on the inside of him. Imagine if he hadn't been adopted by those parents and he would have just been on the street somewhere, you know, doing whatever he needed to do to survive. He never would have been a baseball star. There was a gift, there was something given to him, but it had to be cultivated. There has to be some follow through. Gifts, when given, we have them, but like all gifts, they've got to be cultivated. You've got to do something with it. So whatever the gift of God, whatever, well, that's next. What warning, what gifts were imparted? Find an opportunity to use them. Like I said earlier, if the Lord told you you got a gift of healing, start praying for the sick. If the Lord told you you're going to be a teacher, start teaching. Make disciples. Teach the kids. How many of you have a word about being a teacher? Of some sort. Put your hands up. Don't be, I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm just going to exhort you to do something. And now you got your own film. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got a word? You're going to be a teacher? Go and teach the first and second graders something. And if you can communicate the word of God to a six, seven, or eight-year-old, you can teach and preach anywhere, anytime. Because the kingdom of heaven is for babes to understand. There's nothing about the Word of God, nothing about the ways of God, the principles of God that's meaningful and important anyway that can't be understood by a six, seven, or eight-year-old. In fact, out of the mouths of, mouths of babes and nursing infants, he established strength or praise. So all the ages. So learn how to teach there. Anyway, find an opportunity to use your gift. You can't be a star baseball player until you go out and play ball. You can't excel at your gift unless you go and use it. And then finally, what warnings were given in the Word? What warnings were given? The Lord, many times I've heard the Lord say, something's going to happen down the road. This thing is going to come your way. I've had a few of them. I've always taken them seriously. And then it at least makes me watchful and alert. Sometimes it's a thing that makes sure you be careful how you walk and live because the enemy's trying to lay a snare for you. What warnings were given in your words? Were there anything where God said, watch out for this? If you got a warning... Make sure your friends know about it because they'll call you out. I say, hey, remember the Lord said, for example, hey, you know, you got this thing and the Lord's good. Uh, like what happened to Billy Graham? You know, a woman jumped in the car with him trying to shame him or trying to despoil his name so the press would get a picture. And, you know, it was one of those things. Now it's just become commonplace. Back in the 50s, it wasn't as common to just have some kind of smear campaign to destroy him. So a woman did that. It became just a little bit of a call. From that day onward, he would never get in a vehicle with a woman alone. 
because he knew the enemy is about. There's a trap laid for me, and I'm not going to fall for it. Well, what kind of traps did the enemy, did the Lord warn you about? Watch out for those things. What character issues or what, you know, things in you maybe the Lord called to attention to? Make sure your friends know what the Lord, because if the Lord called your attention to it, you better know about it. Because he doesn't do that all the time. Mostly just say, look, just live uprightly. Walk humbly with your God. Do justly. Love mercy. And, and everything will be all right. But if the Lord calls attention to something, exhort one another. Caution one another. Love your friend enough to tackle him before he goes in. Make it really hard to walk away from the Lord. The most common one that I've heard in prophecy has been there's going to come an offense and you're going to be tempted to pull away from the body of Christ. Sometimes it's been even like here at Hillside, people that the Lord specifically said, which is rare, this is where you're supposed to get rooted. You are to grow roots here. This is where you're going to bear fruit. Now, prophets don't call that out over everybody. They're not prophesying church membership. You know, that's not the main purpose of the word. But sometimes because something's going to happen, there's going to be an offense. There's going to be something to test your love, test your relationship with the leadership or with the other saints in the body. I'm going to warn you about this, that this is where you're going to bear fruit. So get rooted. Most heartbreaking thing of all is to see somebody violate that and just say, well, there's an offense and I'm gone. And that's it. I'm leaving. So Love one another enough to know that. Love yourself and, the, and Christ in you, the call of God enough to say, hey guys, the Lord brought attention to this for a reason, so I want you to keep an eye out with me for it. Be watchmen on the wall of the prophetic purpose and destiny of my life because I don't want to fall for that. I want to see all of what God spoke. And then finally, the last thing, persevere. Perseverance. If you have need of perseverance, Hebrews 10 said, so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the thing promised. Persevere. Don't let go of it. There are going to be seasons where it's right at the forefront of your mind and other seasons where you're just waiting. Like you ever drive a long drive? I drove all the way across Nevada a couple of years ago overnight. That was the most boring state ever. Ever. It's the most boring part of the world to drive. Then nothing but cactus and jackrabbits. Not even an, at one exit on the road for 300 miles. It's one of those places where you think, if I'm ever going to get abducted by aliens, this is where they'll do it. <laughs> Boring, long drive. But when you come out, and on that we drove through the night, when the sun came up, there we were in the high Sierras of California and wine country on the east side, and it was absolutely breathtaking. Sometimes we just need to persevere. It might be a long, boring drive, but on the other side of it, sometimes there's a distance to the destination. do not all have to be bumps and hills. And when I mean, we talk about the process so much, we forget. Sometimes it's a matter of timing and we just need to persevere. Trust the Lord in it. I, I'm at, I'll just close with this story. One of, my, one of the prophets, uh, Robert Stearns, came to Christ Community Church a few years ago. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he came and prophesied and he was sharing some stories and he shared about the first prophecy he got, or somewhere about first one, was that he would one day have an orphanage. And he was a young man, maybe in 30s, 40s, something like that, when he got that word. So, of course, you know what he's looking for, right? Every time he travels to Uganda or anywhere in Africa, he's looking for orphans. And he's ready to start the orphanage. And he even had a couple of Ishmael attempts at starting his own things that weren't the Lord because it wasn't the timing of the Lord yet. Well, finally, he shared this story about he just got so tired of waiting for the Lord to even stop praying about it, just forgot about it. But like a seed that got planted in the ground and was watered and ready to go, it was just waiting for spring. And all of a sudden, he goes and travels, and he gets handed a, a, a string of orphanages, like six of them, 
already built in need of prophetic leadership. And they said, would you please take this over? They, they need life. They need leadership. And, now, and then they grew it out. They had something like 30 when he shared the story. It was just a matter of timing, just a matter of persevering, not letting go. Because, you know, soon in God's estimation is not soon in a modern Western American's estimation. Soon is it took me three minutes to get my number three meal at McDonald's for us. Soon in heaven's estimation with the God who, for whom a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day. When he says soon, there might be a lot of extra O's in the middle of soon. <laughs> it might be like that. But the word of the Lord will return to him, not void, but full of the good fruit. Can we stand on our feet? Thank you, Jesus. If you've been waiting on the Lord for the word of the Lord to come to pass for a long time, it doesn't, you don't have to define what long means, but it feels like it's been a long time. Would you please lift your hand to the Lord? I want to pray for you. And if you're around somebody who has their hand lifted, you're waiting on the Lord. It's not that you've, you, know, you haven't responded or whatever. It's just that, man, God spoke that, and it just seems like years ago or a long time. Well, Father, I pray for a persevering spirit right now that you would make it as the first day. Make, make the, the feeling of the heart be like the first day that these began to wait on you for the fulfillment of the word, for you to do the part of that word that they cannot do. Watch over your word. Perform it. I pray that there, there would even be visions given, and I just feel this for some of you, that the Lord's going to show you how he's watching over that word, smiling and rejoicing like bulbs below the soil, just waiting to spring up that first warm day of spring, that it's going to come to pass. And I pray in Jesus' name that you will see the Lord smiling, the Lord of the harvest, smiling over that word and rejoicing to see it fulfilled as if it's already been done. That for you, you'll enter into God's time frame where a thousand years will seem like a day. Where like how Jacob said, may he work for Rachel for seven years, then 14 years, but it seemed like just a day because of his love for her. I pray it will be so for you in Jesus' name that you'll have great joy in persevering and not grow weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you don't give up. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Oh, yeah, Lisa, come on up. Hang on one second, guys. Okay. I really want to... Sh Hello? Hello? Okay. All right. I want to share something with you. And I think that it really does tie in if you hear me to the end. All right, so yesterday I'm driving, and I see a yard that I've seen lots of times, and they have filled with signs. And they always they have a big sign that they put a different message on, and usually it's either a truth or it's a two-line. <laughs> okay. So as I just read the new sign, the Lord said to me, there's a red tide coming. And just as I'm about to say to myself, Republican, he said, not Republican, red blood bought, redeemed people. And I went further, and I'm just thinking of this, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So pastor exhorted us, if you have a testimony or a prophecy, wonderful work on that. If you don't, and everybody else that does anyways, work on this. There's a red tide
coming. In other words, and he's talking about the, the uh, elections, if you didn't catch that. He's talking about the elections. So when you get around people, you hear on the news, contrary. You just war with that word. There's a red tide. His people are standing up. And at the same time when I heard that, I understood without hearing it that there's a line been drawn in the sand. I don't know who's drawn the line. I don't know if it's his people or it's him. But there's a line drawn, and you're going to have to, the response, either case, is ours. You're going to have to decide what it is you believe. All right, let me go back a week and a half. I'm sitting at an appointment, and I, it, I was on a bench. went to get my nails done. So I was on a bench, and a woman older than myself came in, and I just knew she didn't want to go in either of those chairs. So I moved over to make room for her, and sure enough, she comes in, looks at the chairs, and she turns and says to me, I don't want to sit there. I'm going to sit beside you. I said, God, this is a divine moment. What's going on here? So on the TV that's there is just the, uh, the hurricane in, in Florida. But she sits, and she says to me, we just said nice things, you know, the niceties you do. And she says to me, I don't know how to, uh, how to, how to, I'm not sure if she said vote or how, how to do with, with the election. I think it's so difficult. And I looked at her, and I said, I'm Christian. I am too. And I said, it's not difficult at all. It's not difficult at all. Aren't you tired of the woke situation? Aren't you tired of them deciding that our children should not be who they are, God made them to be? Aren't you tired of And I named some things. And she looks at me, and I said, I can't vote different against God. I said, you know, the, the goal as his people is to hear well done, thou good and faithful. I said, it's not good to vote against what God doesn't want. He doesn't believe in. He's not for. And I said, and if we do that, we're not being faithful. So be, be, be warring with your prophecies. Be warring with there's a red tide coming. Be standing up, be determining where are you on the line, even in the small things.